So welcome everybody to this episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast and I'm really pleased that I'm joined today by a fantastic young author who's put together this great book called The Writing Game. So welcome Robin Hardman. Thank you very much indeed for having me. I've been a fan of the podcast for a long time so it's a real, real pleasure to be able to talk to you today. Well, thank you for joining us. So Starting straight away into our question, usual question then, can you tell us a little bit about your career to date and then maybe why you decided to write this fantastic book? It's one of my favourite books. Honestly, I mean that, the writing. <laughs> that's very kind. <laughs> I grew up in a family of journalists and that, that's important to the, the story of the book, really, because I think as a teenager, I always thought that I was just a good writer. I didn't really realise why. Uh, I thought it was something that came naturally to me. Terrible at loads of other things at school. I hated anything in a laboratory, anything with numbers. But if writing was involved, I quite enjoyed it. And I was I was relatively good at it. And it wasn't then until I became a teacher, I read politics at university, and then became a politics and history teacher. But I started to realise that actually it was the environment that I'd grown up in that probably made me into a, a decent writer. It's almost my innate ability was probably totally irrelevant. It was that I was surrounded by words the whole time. I lived in a house where newspapers were being read. I was encouraged to engage with the news. My, both my parents, as I say, were, were, were writers. And so uh, we were constantly talking about what was going on in the news. We were, we were talking about uh, the quality of political rhetoric. We were analysing speeches. That kind of stuff was just happening in our household. And so it's no wonder that I developed a, some kind of ability to write. When I became a teacher then, and I moved into work in a boarding school initially in the Midlands, uh, straight out of university, I suddenly realised that very few people found writing as easy as I'd found it as a teenager. I think when I was at school, I was so narrowly focused on my own experience. I didn't really stop to think about what my friends were doing. But then as a teacher, suddenly it struck me that that was the hardest skill for most of my students to master. I was very lucky to teach some really engaged, really bright students who loved studying politics and loved talking about it. But when it came to writing well-structured essays, when it came to mastering skills like analysis and evaluation, they found that really difficult. Whenever I asked other teachers how they approached writing, I generally got the same answers. It was lots of timed essays. I'll hand out model essays. I sometimes write a model essay myself. That's what a teacher would tell me. And the kids who can write will develop their writing and the kids who can't write will slowly develop and probably might just get there to the point at which they can get a, a decent grade. But there wasn't a whole amount of strategy going into most teachers' approaches. And there definitely wasn't a, a coherent strategy feeding into my approach. So over the over the years, I became more interested in evidence-informed practice more broadly. And I started to discover that actually there was some there was some research out there, most of which uh, comes from the US, that is very clear on how good writing is developed in adolescents, very clear on uh, in providing recommendations. It's very practical. Unlike a lot of educational research, it's actually quite easy to read. I started to implement some of those recommendations in my own practice. And as I became increasingly confident with doing that, and as I tried and tweaked and uh, tested out those strategies, I'd started to think that it, it, it was really something that other teachers needed to hear about because it, it can be so hard for teachers who don't have time uh, or don't necessarily have the background in research to engage with empirical studies. And I, I wanted to write a book that would that would bridge the gap really between what existed in that research and then what happens every day in, in people's classrooms. So that's how, it's a very long way of saying that's how the writing game emerged uh, as a sort of practical resource for teachers. Did you find, because I often came across this, I'm a historian. Mm. And I would teach the students, I suppose, how to write a good history essay based on what the exam board was telling me was a really good history essay. And then sometimes 
the students would say to me, ah, but in English, we don't do that. And that's not how you write a really good English essay. Did you ever come across that? Yeah, happens the whole time. Uh, It still does. And yeah, it is. It's a constant source of, uh, I think, frustration to an extent in that, as you say, quite often the advice can be directly contrasting across different disciplines. My bugbear for for years was uh, with RS, not with RS teachers or with the subject, but with the approach that was taught by RS teachers, which was, you know, leave the answer until the conclusion. It's almost like a surprise moment at the end of a novel where there's a twist and suddenly the villain becomes a hero. Um, And, you know, in history essays and politics essays and English essays, it's always been, for me at least, having a consistent answer that runs as a thread throughout the essay. So that would be one example. Equally, I think it's really important that that subject specialists do take ownership of essay technique in their discipline. I don't think there is a universal way of writing an essay. It is highly dependent on uh, the subject matter. So I think there can be conversations in schools, conversations in colleges about whether advice is contrasting for constructive reasons, whether it's just because teachers have their own approaches. And if it's that teachers have their own approaches, then I think really departments need to work with each other to come up with some kind of common approach with the with the nuance and room for flexibility across different disciplines so that it's not quite as confusing for students because it, 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 it's hard enough for them to master technique in one subject let alone in three or four or five essay subjects that that might directly disagree with one another I mean I liked the format of your book because you 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 talk about some of the instructional methods and you present it a bit like a recipe book don't you we sort of well you 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 tell the listeners about it rather than me trying to describe the way that you do that yeah, I suppose the idea that I had behind that was that, as I mentioned a moment ago, for, for, for lots of teachers, engaging with research is, is something they might want to do or might have a positive idea about. But it's something that presents a lot of challenges in terms of time and also in terms of being able to interpret what can often be uh, quite stodgy research. So I wanted something that was really practical that teachers could, could pick off the shelf of their office with you know, 15, 20 minutes to go until a lesson. And uh, they might know that they want to work on something involving modelling or something involving practising a particular skill like evaluation or conclusion writing but then find an activity that fit that that fits with that intention so it's a bit like with a recipe book I don't know if we're having people around for dinner we might know they're pescatarians and we both really like eating salmon so we want something that's, that's salmon based but we're not entirely sure exactly what recipe we're going to use so we go through our uh, our cookbooks and work out something that uh, that captures the imagination I suppose that's the, the same idea really and I suppose the other point with the, the recipe analogy is that I'm not claiming that the writing game that reading the book is going to suddenly make you as a teacher into a great teacher of writing it's not a silver bullet solution just like buying I don't know an Ottolenghi book uh, isn't going to suddenly make you into a top chef but the idea behind the book is to provide some inspiration some guidance to, to give some practical solutions to, to common problems that, that teachers have um, but ultimately it's only through experience and through building up your own expertise that you're going to be a really effective teacher of writing there's no 100 page, 150 page book that's, that's suddenly going to do that for you. Now, in the book as well, you mentioned people that I hold up my hands and say, I hadn't come across these people, Steve Graham, Karen Harris and Gary Troyer. And yeah. they are instrumental, really, in terms of the approach that you take in the book and they help to shape the writing game. So can you tell our listeners just about these these people who've been so instrumental and pivotal in writing your book? Yeah, they're, they're all US-based academics, uh, Steve Graham, Karen Harrison, and Gary Troy, and there, there, are, there are others as well. A lot of researchers have become sort of edgy celebrities in recent years, but for some reason, this group of researchers 
uh, does remain relatively unknown. I had never heard of them. As a body of work, it's about as practical a set of guidance about education as I have ever come across. Because uh, across the group of researchers, they, they've researched the development of writing from the very beginning of the process at, at primary level, kindergarten level in uh, the United States, all the way through to, to, to pre-college uh, and, and some study of college level writing as well. And it's, it's incredibly practical. As I mentioned earlier, it's very accessible. And I, I really do think that they deserve to be much better known and that their research deserves to be much more widely disseminated. And I was really very touched when Steve Graham, uh, who's a professor at the uh, Arizona State University, agreed to write the foreword to my book as well. And hopefully in a small way, that's that's going to bring some people into interacting with his work because yeah, he's been at the top of the, uh, the educational research game for about 20 or 30 years, if not longer. And there are dozens of studies out there. Uh, if you search up his name, it will overnight really make a, make a great difference to your uh your writing instructional practice. In the book, there are these seven overarching principles mm. and they're based on the research that these academics have undertaken. And yeah. that's correct. Could you just talk through some of those just to give our listeners a flavour of those principles? Yeah, of course. So um, this, this was my way of sort of synthesising all the research that I'd engaged with so they do perhaps overly simplify uh, a very complex picture and I certainly wouldn't claim that these principles are a whole picture uh, when it comes to writing instruction but I think they're a useful starting point the more frequently pupils write the greater chance that they have of making improvements and that makes a lot of sense the traditional model of, te of teaching a humanities or an art subject is to teach content for six or seven weeks at GCSE or A-level, and then to set an essay at the end of that topic. And there's not necessarily a huge amount of writing practice that's going on uh, over the course of the, the teaching of that topic. I'm really lucky to have worked as, as a rugby coach as part of my teaching job with guys who've gone on to become professional players. And I, I claim absolutely no uh, role in the fact that they've become professionals, but I've been able to watch them going about their business. And one's a fly half, he's, a, he's become a professional kicker. He would work every single day on his goal kicking. Uh, and that's just one element of his play as a, as a rugby player. But he was so focused on developing that skill. He'd kick off both feet. He'd go through all the different uh, types of kick every day with either with a coach or on his own. And he became one of the best schoolboy players of his generation by doing that. If we're trying to make writers into the most competent that they can be as, as, as adolescents, we've got to be creating as many opportunities as possible for them to practice. So that really influenced me. It, it seems a very, very simple principle to influence my, my instruction a lot. And that is very well borne out by, by the studies that we've mentioned. I'll, I'll mention a couple of others briefly, uh, because I think these are perhaps uh, less obvious and less well known uh, among teachers. Group writing is one of the best supported strategies in the evidence base. And again, if you think about how teachers traditionally tend to uh, approach writing, it's an individual activity very often. It's something that you assess individual pupils on and provide them with individual feedback and maybe sometimes there might be some whole class feedback on common misconceptions and, and, and common uh, technique errors but by and large we treat it as an individual activity and yet there are so many opportunities to learn from other pupils uh, to learn from more expert pupils to transmit your expertise to less expert pupils that you can create over the course of a lesson or a sequence of lessons mixing up perhaps the, the, the type of groups working in pairs working in 
working in threes, working sometimes in larger groups, making sure that, that each member of the group has a, an, an assigned role so that it doesn't descend into chaos. And again, that's, that, that, that's a very easy change that you can make to your instructional practice. And that's one way of feeding much more regular, frequent writing practice into a sequence of lessons and, and, and make it, making writing less of a, a, a chore for students. I think they, they often see it as something that is assessed and therefore that is, that is quite scary when really it's part of the process of learning. It's not just an outcome that's there to be measured. The last thing I'd mention, actually, it's not one of the seven overarching principles in the book, but it, it, it's linked to what I've just been mentioning, is that extended writing needs to happen from an early stage of the process of learning. And very often it's become quite popular in recent years. We focus a lot on getting students to write good sentences before we get them to write at an extended level. And I completely understand the reasoning behind that because sentences are the component parts that make up paragraphs, paragraphs are the component parts that make up essays. But all the research suggests that staying at a sentence level for too long and not developing sentences in context and in combination with one another actually holds back writer's progress. And that was something that I found really surprising when I first engaged with the evidence base because it's become really popular to, to engage in sentence level practice in recent years. That's not in itself a bad thing, but that needs to be happening alongside the activities and strategies that involve combining sentences and writing at an extended level. And that, that would be all the way down to uh, to primary level through to secondary, um, rather than sticking at sentence level for too long. And do you have a favourite activity? Because the, the book is full of these practical activities. It's divided mm -hmm. up really clearly. One activity, favourite activity you wanted to share with our listeners? Yeah. Um, I think I, 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 I fall in and out of love with, with some of the activities. I've been using them for, for five or six years. And so inevitably, I end up using some more frequently uh, than others. And then I, I, I spend a couple of years not using one and then uh, come back to it. One that I keep coming back to is called Snakes and Ladders. Uh, in fact, I used it last week with, with an upper six class. And Snakes and Ladders is, is a spin on the classic children's game where uh, the aim is to try and get to the hundredth square of the uh, Snakes and Ladders board. And it begins with some, some writing. It could be at an individual level or it could be in groups and then probably works best as a, a, a paragraph. But you could do it, do it over the course of an entire essay. And then it moves into a peer assessment phase where the, the paragraph or the essay that's been written is assessed against a set of criteria and for certain things, you'll move along the board. You'll go from square one to two to three. So that might be using a contemporary example. It's explaining the significance of the point. You move along the board. And then for those really great things that, that drive essays up into a, a star grade territory, you can go up a ladder. So I talk a lot with my students about multi-skill sentences that combine knowledge and analysis. And if there's a, a multi-skill sentence, uh, they can go up the next ladder and that might send them from square 20 to square 60 suddenly. But then also for those things that you really want to encourage students to avoid doing, so uh, making a point without supporting it with evidence, for instance, or reaching a judgment that's not justified, that would lead you, that would lead to you slipping down the snake. So going back down the board from square 50 to square 10. And so it's a great, it, it's a great exercise. It takes it can take up to uh, a whole lesson in but it involves writing practice it involves peer assessment often if you're if you're doing it towards the end of a course there's an element of modeling in there as well because students are, are going to be producing really good work particularly if they're, if they're doing it in groups or in pairs so there are lots of different things going on there and i think when you reach that stage with a gcse set or an a level set and they feel like they've, they've they've heard every bit of advice that you've ever given them on on writing instruction it's a great way of handing a bit of responsibility over to them and saying go on then produce a really good bit of writing and then uh, see if you can get to the 100 square, see if you can jump up all the ladders that we've been working on over the past six months, a year, two years. 
if you're doing it as part of a revision activity, they they just love a game, don't they? And they love something as well that's quite competitive. They do. And yeah, what they don't realise is they're actually working really quite hard in that lesson. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they see it as a game, but actually they're producing a paragraph under time pressure or an essay under time pressure. And then they're, they're doing quite a focused peer assessment task. So and they'll remember it better, won't they, than yeah. just being given a model. A model exactly. Answer. Are you looking at other ways in which you can share this, maybe by running CPD workshops for teachers or going and working in schools with uh, the students, running sessions with them? Is that something that you're looking to take forward in the future? It is, yeah. I've been really pleased with the, the reception that the book has had. It's been great to hear from teachers who I've, I've, I've never met in, in all corners of the country saying, thanks for writing the book. This is, this is helping me with something that I've been finding difficult for a while. But I, I'm also aware that these strategies need to be disseminated as far and wide as possible for them to have the maximal benefit on, uh, on our students. At the moment, I'm trying to develop an, an online CPD course where teachers can study in a, at their own pace over a series of five modules, the core principles of effective writing instruction. Uh, and then looking at how to implement those principles from research into practice through the lens of some of the strategies in my book, but also uh, through the lens of some other strategies that, have, that I've come across uh, over the course of my conversations with teachers too. So that, that's one strand, I guess, of what I'm trying to do. The ultimate plan really is to, is to start producing materials that are going to be student facing as well, because often students begin to take their writing development most seriously when they're in public exam years. And I think providing some some resources that are going to help them to to revise and, and, and revise through writing effectively would be one way of maximizing the impact of, of the research that's out there. So that's all part of the plan. That's all in the pipeline. Uh, but I think in the short term, yeah, I'm, I'm really keen to get out into schools. Uh, to connect with teachers uh, and teacher trainers and uh, if any listeners want to talk about writing instruction uh, I that's I, I can't think of many better things to do with my time which is perhaps a reflection on me uh, but they'd be very very welcome to get in touch with me uh, through my Twitter page or through LinkedIn and uh, we can organize a conversation. And would you ever consider putting a book together aimed at primary school teachers? I think it, it, it's interesting since the book came out I've had some contact with with primary school teachers who and some of whom have said that they're, they're, they're almost shocked that there's not more conversation about writing at secondary level because I think in primary schools writing is a really fundamental part of teachers everyday classroom practice it, writing is a really important part of teacher training at primary level too and at, at some stage we seem to then forget the focus on writing uh, perhaps at the transition from primary to secondary school uh, and certainly as, as, as students transition up through secondary schools, that's something I think that has been lost uh, over the years, that, that, that strategic focus on writing. But it's definitely something that, I'm, that I'd be interested in doing. Uh, I'd, I'd love to, my background is in secondary and sixth form teaching. I'd love to connect with, with primary school teachers who might be interested in, in thinking about how this evidence base translates into their context. And as I said, the research by Steve Graham, Karen Harris, Gary Troyer, John Hayes, whose studies form the basis of, of my book, does reach all the way down to kindergarten level. So it's very, very relevant, this evidence base, and these strategies are very relevant to, uh, to the primary context. Good. Now, we've got to that stage, Robin, where we're almost at the end, believe it or not. And we've talked there about possibilities for the for the future, workshops, maybe a primary primary focused writing game. You're receiving all these fantastic reviews. So the question is, what do you think in the process of writing the book you've learned about yourself? That is a great question. I feel like I'm being interviewed now for a job. <laughs> um, I think that 
and I won't sort of go into too much detail here, but I think throughout my life, I've been very goal oriented. It's always been, what can I achieve? You know, what grades can I get? Which university can I go to? And actually, over the course of writing the book and, and, and it coming out, what I realized is that actually what motivates me is connecting with people. So the, the, the people that I've heard from who've enjoyed the book, the people who I spoke to while I was writing it, the academics, teachers, they've been the most valuable um, and fulfilling part of, of the whole process, actually. I mean, I, 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 I get sales data, I get reviews, I see myself on the Amazon rankings and that kind of thing. None of that really matters. It gives me a lasting sense of, of happiness or fulfillment, but it's uh, the conversations that I've had with, with real people, either online or, or in person, that have given me most pleasure. So I think perhaps it's a belated realisation that, that, that fulfilling goals and, and ticking things off a list doesn't really lead to lasting happiness, but, but human relationships do. <laughs> Very interesting answer. And it's a very appropriate answer because I want to say I've really enjoyed connecting with you. So thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us and thank you for being on the programme today. It's been an Not absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Independent Teacher Podcast. If you like listening to this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.